Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, February 5th, the day after the Canucks fall 4 nothing on the road to the Boston Bruins. Uh, meant to have a post-game breakdown for you, kind of come out you know, close to 24 hours ago now. I wanted it to come out uh, overnight on Tuesday into Wednesday morning, but I have been just scattered all over the place this week. People keep getting sick at Sportsnet 650, which means I keep getting called in for pickup fill-in shifts. My schedule has been all topsy-turvy. I haven't necessarily had the time that I wanted to dedicate to Locked On Canucks this week that I had set aside initially, and I didn't know what to say about last night's game either because... Kind of a dud, you know? And I had talked about the possibility that that might happen on uh, Tuesday's uh, show in the day there, the second half of my chat with Daniel Wagner. There was a possibility that this game was going to be bad, that was going to give me nothing to, to talk about. And I talked about how that's okay, because... The Canucks will get back to the good times before you know it. Not every loss needs to mean the sky is falling when you look at where this team is at right now, which is a stark contrast to where they were at even a month ago, a month and a half ago, really. So, uh, yeah, we get into that a little bit here. I couldn't talk about the whole thing by myself because there just didn't seem like there was a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Uh, And I was joined by a pinch hitter stepping in in the last minute to help me uh, talk about that Bruins game, David Quadrelli, who now is a three-time guest on the program. And uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. Here it is. Today's Locked on Canucks with David Quadrelli. Back now to break down uh, last night's game against the Boston Bruins is returning favorite on the program, joining the three-timers club here on Locked on Canucks, David Quadrelli of uh, Canucks Army and the Canucks Conversation, and now pass it to Bullis as well. There's uh, all kinds of places you're, you're seeing this guy pop up right now. David, uh, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you for having me back, Justin. It's a good good to be here. Well, I was going to break down this game by myself. I thought this would be a solo episode. Uh, but I think the big takeaway from last night's game against the Bruins, which uh, might be two nights ago by the time people are listening to this on Thursday morning, perhaps, as we're doing this late on Wednesday night, uh, is just how boring it was. Like, that was a shockingly uneventful game for the Canucks. And I realize, yes, it is their third game in four nights and fatigue from being on the road for this trip is going to add up. But I had said on the show the day before in previewing it that, you know, typically I feel like, yes, despite the fact that there are very few players left on the squad from 2011 who still have, you know, those kind of emotional attachments to this rivalry, uh, the city's emotional investment in this rivalry has tended to rub off on this next wave of of talents as well. These are still pretty emotional games, even if it's just Alex Edler and Chris Tanev left from 2011 at this point. I did not feel really any sort of emotion to this game at all until about the final moments when Jay Beagle decided to run into Tuka Rask and all hell broke loose in that final minute. Yeah, that's just it, right? It's like it's more so the fans that feel that... uh that attachment, but the Canucks don't really have any rivals, right? So it's it's like, who is their rivals? It's Boston, Chicago, because of those years, but now they play Chicago, and even with um, Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane still on that, on that roster, there's not much, you know, it's not a big deal when Chicago plays the Canucks anymore. But uh, yeah, wins against the Blackhawks. Wins against the Blackhawks don't really feel like anything anymore. Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. it's like, well, of course we're supposed to beat that team. They suck. 
Yeah, exactly. But then back then, like, man, all the emotion that was in those games, you know, Dave Bolin calling the city and sisters and all that sort of stuff. Like, there's, there's a laundry list of reasons why Canucks fans hate the Blackhawks. And, you know, Chelsea Dagger getting played at Rogers Arena, that was, like, priceless. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good because it's good to have a little bit of emotion, but it's more so the fans that are having this emotion. It's not really the players. I, I, yes and no, though, though, right? Like, I feel like there has been, you know, games against the Bruins in the past have delivered a lot more than last night did, uh, certainly. Uh, that is that is a dud of a game. That's a stinker that we haven't seen since they were, you know, in Florida, however long ago that is. And Oh, yes. I, I mean, you were on post-game duties for Canucks Army last night and probably had the same sort of process that I did and thinking that I was going to sit down and talk about this game for 25 minutes by myself in a recap podcast. Like, what the heck are you going to talk about? The one narrative that has really emerged over the course of the day today, though, and I guess had sort of emerged post-game last night, uh, a lot of consternation and focus being put on uh, the hit from Grizzlick on Pedersen early in the first period that sort of took Petey out of the game for a little bit, but he did come back. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's funny that uh, the team can just rattle off as many wins in a row, you know, 16 of however many, whatever the streak was over the last month and a half here, and nobody says a word. There's not a peep about toughness or uh, pushback or this team being too soft or whatever. Yeah, exactly. They, they just lose one game and suddenly it's, oh, how soft is this team? How they, they got no fighting spirit. They don't stick up for each each other we got to go after michael haley we that's don't, what they need to do we don't hear any of, of that when you know they're winning seven yeah, exactly. eight games in a row exactly and that's just it right it's like matt grizzlick's not a dirty player it's not like they whispered 40 in his ear and tapped his shoulder and sent him out there that's <laughs> not what happened matt grizzlick's five nine he's a two-way defenseman he's not a dirty player um it, it was a dirty hit sure it was a late hit for sure absolutely like, Pedersen talked about it like your guard goes down because you're bracing yourself for a hit and then you keep skating and you keep skating oh well the play's behind me now you know I don't have to worry about getting hit and then all of a sudden here comes Matt Grizzly throwing you into the boards basically and it was it was a dirty hit for sure and I just think like it was a dirty hit but it's not like a dirty play where oh somebody's got to go fight Matt Grizzly like it's I, I I don't think it's it's it, it doesn't warrant people saying we got to get Furlan back like they got to go get Michael Haley they got to do all this stuff and get tougher i just don't think that Pedersen really you know he wasn't expecting the hit and it was it was a dirty play for sure but one thing i really want to talk about here is Travis Green's like coming out party sort as um as we're saying it is is him picking his point and really really hammering home that idea that you know the league wants to protect star players, but we see stuff like that happen to Pedersen, and Pedersen's getting a lot less calls than he did in the first half. Like, he was drawing a lot of penalties, and that's changed now. And, you know, you wonder if he's maybe starting to get a reputation for embellishing, and, you know, he talked about it last night. Is He, he doesn't want that reputation on himself. Nobody does, but I don't think it's warranted that he gets that reputation. Like, he does go down easy, but I think that's also because of, you know, He's slight. He's he's not a huge guy, so it doesn't take much to knock him down. And when guys are taking liberties on you and really going after him because, you know, he gets around guys, no problem. So they got to do something to take him down. And Yeah, it's kind of concerning that the big drop-off in how many 
penalties, he's not not getting drawn anymore. Yeah, and you know, I that's a good point. And and I, it was very nice to hear him say those things about how he doesn't want to be a guy who looks to the ref after every play to say, you know, what the hell? Because I mean, Crosby had that reputation even in his first couple mm-hmm. seasons. If you go back to when he came into the league, and and. You know, I don't think it's unwarranted for guys of that caliber to be like that. You know, like even even if we go back to, you know, we were just talking about 2011, guys like Kessler and Burroughs had a reputation with the officials. But as much as they did embellish uh, looking for calls, they did that for a reason. You know, they did that because they were getting slashed and hooked and all this dirty stuff their way that wasn't getting called. And when it's not getting called because you're trying to battle through it, I think the natural inclination is to lean into embellishing because referees are human beings beans they are on the ice their eyes are only focused on certain things at a time you're embellishing trying to draw attention you're not embellishing to invent something out of whole cloth and yeah I, I think Pedersen has kind of fallen into that trap a little bit uh, so far over the course of this season because he does have to battle through a lot and because calls do not come when he toughs it out when he does the right thing there are no penalties uh, or certainly not enough relative to sort of the interference that he he has to put up with mentally I think it's forgivable to try and draw more attention to the things that are happening to you but as a sport you know we're supposed to tisk tisk that and say guys guys don't do that real players don't do that sort of thing it's a bad look to do that sort of thing it's a bad look not to call penalties on star exactly. players is what's a bad look exactly and yeah like that that grizzly kid you know that's a penalty like that is a penalty every day of the week man that's interference like boarding whatever you want to call it it was a late hit and you know green said it last night like that's a penalty all day and it wasn't called and it's like what more does would Pedersen have to do in that scenario to get a call his way you know what I mean like there's not much else he can do than fly into the boards and like fall the way he did with his arms up like he was pretty defenseless and it's just like it's it's concerning because it's like how do you ah I don't know man but it's like it's like it's really concerning that there's less and less calls going Pedersen's way because he had quite a few drawn at the start of the year. And it he was, was one really of the league like, leaders. Exactly, and it was it was really like a underrated part of his game, and now we're not seeing that as much. And it's not like he's changed anything. It's not like he's not going to the heart, dirty areas, and he's not like he hasn't changed his game at all. People are still hooking him. People are still tripping him, and he's just not getting the calls. And it's it is concerning, and I think it's something we'll have to keep an eye on for sure. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canucks fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses, so text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777, that's double three triple seven, or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com dot com slash advertising we look forward to hearing from you just like you look forward to hearing more 
from David Quadrelli. It's kind of a smart tactic on Travis Green's part as well, because not only does he get to sort of rally the city behind him, just like he did last year after the Matheson hit, uh, you know, yeah. gave an impassioned speech about how uh, the league needs to do a better job and then perhaps the team needs to do a better job of, of protecting the, the guy as well. You know, people really were ready to run through a wall for Travis Green in this yeah. city at that point last year. Very similar rallying point uh, today as well, given the, the impassioned fire that he showed about just, you know, admitting how pissed off he gets watching what Petey has to battle through. But you know what? We're, we've been talking about that all day long. We haven't been talking about the fact that his team came out flat and played like a pretty brutal road game, like exactly. one of their worst efforts of the season. It's rah, 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 like let's rally around this guy yeah, as opposed exactly. to uh, what a stinker that was last night. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I say I think it's such a, like it was a really smart idea on Green's part to he really picked his spot well, man. Like, you know, Matt Sakaris, I don't know if you read it, he wrote a really good piece today about how Green really picked his spot. And one thing he mentioned was like it's the best building to do it in, right? Yeah. And Oh, by it, far. Yes. If you're gonna exactly. talk about referee bias and letting <laughs> things slide, nobody exactly. is the bigger example of that than the Bruins, by far. Oh. Holy shit, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing, right, is it takes the focus off... One, it takes the focus off his team's shitty performance. Two, it makes the fans invigorated again. It gets them excited and, like, you know, it's, you know, after a loss, it's not crazy to see Canucks fans, like, losing their minds on Twitter. But, no, last night, everybody was kind of united and, like, we were... Everybody was saying, like, they were like, yeah, this is what we need. We need a coach who can say this, somebody to stick it to the man. You know, Jim Benning with the recapture penalty and everything, he did not stick it to the man, so to speak. Neither did Francesco Aquilini. They took the recapture penalty and, you know, they, didn't put up much of a fight as far as we know. Privately, they might have. I'm sure privately exactly. Francesco Aquilini is deeply unhappy about that, but we didn't get exactly. anything uh, as a kind of a fighting point to rally around within the market at all uh, with relation to that at all. You're, you're bang on right. Exactly, which is why, again, that's why I think it's such a good point for Green to, to say what he said last night was just perfect by him and, you know, it takes all the focus off his team's bad performance and gets the fans excited once again. I just worry about the fan response, about pushback and toughness and guys sticking mm-hmm. up for each other. And like you said, the need to you know go out and run Grizzlick or go out and run one of their star players in return. You want to touch Pedersen? Well, we'll take Bergeron out of the game. I'll see how you like that. It's just, you know, we've seen this play out. I mean, historically in Vancouver, the most infamous... The way that that has played out in the entire <laughs> NHL history, of course, go yeah, back no to, to 2003 or 2004, I guess it was here in this city. But, uh, uh, you know, we're watching it play out right now with the Battle of Alberta as well. And, you mm-hmm. know, ultimately, that is just, it's it's like the end of Batman Begins, right? You turn over the card and, oh, suddenly what you've done has inspired the Joker because it's just nothing but escalation. You know, the the of doing something in return is only going to lead to further acts against you. And we need to break free of this caveman, meathead mentality in the (laughs) NHL that violence is going to solve everything because the only thing that violence begets is more violence. And if Matt Grizzlick is going to hit Elias Pettersson, 
I don't want the Canucks to turn around and then take Patrice Bergeron out of the game because you know what the Bruins are going to do in return? Take Quinn Hughes out of the game as well. Like, if we want to watch a skilled game uh, fueled by skilled players, we need to allow for the fact that hockey is a fast game, hockey is an impact game, and suddenly things, you know, don't always go the way you're expecting. I'm not saying that Grizzlick hit Pedersen late by accident. It was yeah, certainly yeah. a dirty play, but you have to allow for things like that to happen sometimes without, you know, wanting to see a guy's head on a pike. We've seen that in Vancouver. It does not end well. Exactly. And that's just it, right? Is like there's ways around this. Like I you know, I'm gonna answer with more violence, I guess, but not to the point where it's like you, you go out and hurt a guy. Like all it's gonna all it's gonna take, like the next time the Bruins face the Canucks if this is still a big deal, I don't think it will be. It won't be. be. This is not a Kotkaniemi. This is not a Matheson. Exactly. This will be forgotten by the end of next week. Exactly. So, uh, for example, like if it were, all, all that has to happen is like Bo Horvat off the, off the dot just fights Matt Grizzlick. It's done in the first minute. Carry on with the rest of the game. Or Nobody just, worries about it or anymore. Just but then play him tough. Like, all you have to do is play him tough, right? You don't even need to fight the guy. Just finish yeah, some checks, totally. clean checks. That's all that's required. You don't need totally. to return a cheap shot with another cheap shot. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't need to go run him from behind or, like, you know, we're going to go after Poster Knock now. You went after Patterson. <laughs> like, it's not the answer. You're right. It's it's not. It's not. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I think a good old-fashioned Donnybrook can really solve everything. So that that's, that's what I'm saying is, like, just – one the guy you know if you throw a hit like that you can drop your gloves i'm not saying he has to drop his gloves because that's the thing is like it's such a gray area because i'm totally in the camp of you should not have to fight for to defend clean hits yeah like that's i'm totally against that but you know this wasn't a clean hit so it becomes kind of a gray area because you say well that grizzly's not much of a fighter but do we want does he want to fight to, you know, defend his honor? And that, again, we're getting into the meathead stuff. Yeah, I just think when we look back on the Bertuzzi-Moore incident, yes, there are all kinds of contributing factors to the way that went down. But, you know, like that was fueled largely by not just like the old school culture of hockey where you need vengeance and let's put money on the board, there's bounties on this guy's head, so on, etc. That was fueled by media as well. There was a huge mm-hmm. media narrative in this city for the three weeks because this happened in Colorado and then the Vancouver rematch was like two, three weeks later if I'm remembering correctly. Throughout that entire period, like the entire Vancouver media landscape was demanding blood, was demanding retribution. I believe there was like an editorial cartoon on the back page of the province sports that was literally like Steve Moore's head being served up on a silver platter. We got what we wanted from that and then when we got it we realized, oh, you know what? Never mind. I don't think I wanted this after all. Yeah, like, no kidding. Like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I just. Ah, oh, man. I don't know. Like, I'm. I'm. I, I. I was having this discussion about fighting, and it's like he's in the camp of not fighting. We were talking about the Kachuk incident, and just like we got into like this big kind of discussion, and he definitely changed my mind on the Kachuk thing because I was like, oh, Kachuk shouldn't have to fight, but then I was like, well, Kachuk's kind of a dirty player, so he should have to fight. I don't know. It was uh, it was quite a discussion there, but that's I I just don't like fighting in hockey, if I'm being honest. But then again, I still think there is a place for it in the game, and I don't think it should be out of the game completely. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, you you mentioned it a little bit earlier the the fact that you know 
there have been losses this season that just throws this market into a tailspin uh, of negativity and, and being down on what this team is. Um, and maybe maybe Travis Green's impassioned speech about Pedersen and all of the interference he puts up with uh, diverted us from that happening again. But I also think that's an interesting barometer of where the team is at at this point in the season and where the fan base is at in terms of buying in on whether this team is for real. Because, look, I I will fully admit, uh, did I contribute to the dramatic tailspin after the Canucks got absolutely hammered by the Golden Knights in Vegas earlier this season back in Mm -hmm. December? Absolutely I did, yes. But that was also at a time where, you know, the, the Canucks didn't seem like they were really on the verge of of being able to go on a run. If you had asked me in December, is this Vancouver team capable of rattling off seven, eight wins in a row? I would say no. I would have said absolutely not because they hadn't shown that ability that year. They haven't shown an ability to do, you know, to go on a prolonged winning streak like that at any point earlier uh, in previous seasons, certainly. Like, there was no evidence to think, well, yes, that could happen. Uh, We've seen it happen a couple times now. You know, they've gone on some pretty good runs since around Christmas time. And when you see Mm -hmm. that, when you have that evidence, it's easier to buy into the idea that one bad result is just an off night and off nights happen and you don't really need to worry about it in the grand scheme. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, they got a nice homestand coming up. They got City in Week, and all the legends are going to be in attendance. That's going to be great for the team. And, you know, home cooking. They've played very well at home, and I think this is going to be really good for the Canucks to really just kind of put that road trip behind them. You know, they still play in Minnesota tomorrow, but um, that 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 homestand there is going to be really good for this team, I think, and it's going to help them keep their spot at first in the Pacific. Yeah, and not just the idea of how, you know, undefeatable they have been on home ice of late. Uh, you know, just a incredible run that, you know, we haven't seen the likes of which going back to the kind of team that this team had in 2011, not to continue to bring 2011 up again and again and yeah. again here. But, you know, not just how good they've been on home ice, but... I, I'm a firm believer that when you have emotional ceremonies before a game, the home team is very much unlikely to lose them. Um, that can work both ways, I guess, when it's a ceremony about something extremely sad. You know, like if mm-hmm. if, if we uh, are, you know, mourning the passing of Rick Rippon, I believe the Canucks got hammered uh, by whoever they played that night. And that's understandable because those are very low emotions. But every single yeah. time we've had one of these, you know, uh, nostalgia um, anniversary ceremonies so far this season, the team has come out of it extremely fired up. The team is just you know, not going to die on those nights. And I don't know that you could pick a more emotional uh, experience for this team in this exact moment than what that whole Sedin week is going to give them. Because, you know, there are players certainly on this team that never played with the Sedins that don't have that attachment to them. But for guys like Bo and, and Brock even too, like I have a feeling this week uh, of, you know, Sedin week coming up next week is going to mean an enormous amount to those guys, and the Canucks are not going to lose those games. Yeah, exactly, and hell, even the home opener. They came out yeah. firing uh, after the, that home that's opener. That's the what biggest example, 8-2? for sure. Yeah, 8-2 over the Kings. Yeah, exactly, over the Kings. That was a, the infamous team-like-that hashtag that started, and then the Canucks 
had their terrible month of November and it was like <laughs> the hashtag was biting them in the ass. That was like that was really funny if I'm being honest with you, uh, but uh yeah, no, I think it's gonna be a great week for the Canucks. And yeah, I mean it's just like I was saying, it's a it's a lot easier to write off these bad outings and and it was a very bad outing against Boston. Like there was I cut the highlights for the games uh on on the radio call and I have to upload all of the 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 highlights to like a NHL central server on an FTP sort of deal. What what I'm getting at here is, you know, I try to have between, you know, 12 and 20 highlights per game, like standout plays, important moments. I had one Canucks scoring chance from the entire game against Boston on Tuesday. And it was kind of reaching even just to find. Yeah, I really pulled it because I needed a, a Rask save because I knew Tuka Rask was going to be the player of the game. So that's why I had it. Like that speaks to how poor of an outing that it was for the Canucks. When yeah. not only do they not score any goals, like there were really no even chances for them in that contest. But it doesn't really matter. It's not creating this massive controversy and argument online, and you know, infighting and bitter feud within Canucks Twitter or all that stuff because we've seen the sample size. You know, I, I, I think that, like, you know, I, part of the difficulty in trying to do post-game analysis, whether it's on Canucks Army or on this podcast or on the radio, is that you always have to have a narrative coming out of every game when ultimately, mm-hmm. like, the individual results of individual games don't really mean anything. It's the ability to... Look at the big picture. Um, look at the look at the forest and not the trees, and say what we have here. And I think the later that we get into the season, that the Canucks are not just in the playoffs, but on top of their division, people are going to feel fine when there are bad outings because not every team goes eighty-two and zero. We understand that sometimes even the best teams play poorly. Yeah, and if you're going to lose, lose in overtime, like you did against Carolina, <laughs> or the shootout, even it was a stupid shootout, which like you know. That was a crime that that game went to a shootout. Like, that should not have ended. I, Yeah, I don't know. We can get into that on another episode, but the shootout sucks. But there there are letdown games, though, and I feel like 100%. Tuesday was one of them. And at the end of it, you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and, you know, burn the game tape and just move on and, and never reference it ever again. Yeah, exactly. Well, that wraps that up then, Quads. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate you stepping in at the last minute. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, where can people find you? I know I uh, sl- gave your slate of credits off the hop, but yeah, I'll let you so plug your stuff. Canucks Conversation is the main place. Check out the Patreon. We've got interviews with Canucks prospects, you know, legends. We've got a lot of stuff coming. Um, yeah, there, Canucks Army and Pastabulus. If you're looking for my writing, I just got my new call on that Pastabulus, which I'm really excited about, which is the uh, Quadsum Player of the Week. So I'll be doing that every Monday morning on Pastabulus. And, uh, yeah, that and Canucks Army is where you can find my writing. Well, congrats on the column, man. That's really nice to hear. I got a big smile on my face, even if you can't see me. Thank you. That's our show for the day. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy uh, Thursday's contest with the Minnesota Wild as well. Um, Of course, uh, the Canucks wrapping up their five-game roadie in mini tonight at 5 p.m., I believe is the start time on that one. have a feeling this one will go much better than Tuesday in Boston did, not only because of the uh, lesser quality of opponent, but I have a feeling the Canucks will be eager to turn the page on Tuesday's game just as much as the fans 
ones are. So uh, enjoy it. I'll be back to break it down on Friday morning. And uh, until then, you can do me a favor by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and throwing the show a rating and a review wherever you happen to get it, whether that's you know Apple Podcasts or uh, any number of other places. The ratings and reviews do help us in the algorithms, in the rankings, helps people find the show, and I always uh, enjoy reading the nice things that you guys have to say as well. Uh, until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.